Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, don't we? I stress need. There has to be not a tolerance for the Holy Spirit, but a dependence on the Holy Spirit. And the church has developed a tolerance for what level can you tolerate? We need the, a, an assurance, a reliance, a full dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. And even what we've started, we, we kicked off a series of teachings that we're going to be in for the next several weeks called Kingdom Realities. We are taking an opportunity to discover God's purpose, God's plan. How many of you want to live according to God's purpose? How many of you want to discover what he wants? You know, that's really the biggest thing. That that's really should be our main goal in life is I want to align my will with his will. I want to align my agenda with his agenda. I don't want an agenda outside of what God wants. I don't want to make plans outside of what God is doing. And so, uh, you know, our, our whole lives are really... Uh, just us trying to align with what God is doing. And so we have to discover his intent. We have to discover his purpose. We have to discover his plan. We said this last week, where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So if I don't know the purpose for something, I'm at risk of abusing it. And anything that I abuse compromises the, the, the health that compromises, it becomes detrimental to me. It becomes harmful to me. It becomes dangerous to me. Something that was designed to help me can hurt me. Have you, anybody ever realized that? Anybody ever popped up a hilarious YouTube video of somebody uh, misusing a treadmill? It's hilarious. It's a lot of fun to watch. I'm sure it didn't feel as great. The, uh, the rug burn on their back or on the side of their body getting shot off the treadmill. Uh, there's, there's some funny ones out there. Uh, there are some hilarious abuse of uh, equipment, uh, exercise equipment that, you know what? When the individual designed it, manufactured it, he had an intention that it would help those people. But the same equipment that was designed to help someone is hurting someone. Why? Because they're not using it according to its original design, its original intent. Are you with me tonight? So we've got to discover the original intention. I got to go all the way to the beginning first. And number two, I've got to go to the manufacturer. If I don't go to the beginning and I don't go to the manufacturer, I'm at risk of, of discovering a false purpose. A false purpose of what it might could function as, or, well, it helps with this. You know, cell phones are great to talk on, but the same device that allows me to connect with people around the world can also put visuals in front of me that I can't ever unsee. The same device. I've got a Bible app and a Safari app right next to each other, and I can read a verse and I can watch something I'm not supposed to watch on the same device. It was designed to help me, not hurt me. It was designed to benefit me, not destroy me. Amen. 
And so you've got to discover, and let me just say this too, that the function of something, uh, uh, the ability for something to function according to its design, its intent, is also in the, it's also determined by the one using the device, using the equipment. Are you with me? That's why my gym has a sign that says, uh, you know, like, I don't know, 14, 15 and under is not allowed in there. Why? They're not mature enough to use the equipment according to its original design. Okay? So we've got to recognize that even though uh, I may even discover the purpose for something, if I don't use it according to, or if I'm not even mature enough to handle it, parents with kids with cell phones, that's who I'm talking to right now. If your uh, child has a device that has so much power, my gosh, I can't, can't even imagine. Most adults can't even handle that amount of power, much less the eight, nine, 10-year-old. I mean, my, my son started third grade. He's eight years old, going on nine, asking, my friend has a cell phone. When am I? You got eight more years, bro. One, you're going to pay for it. When you see the bill, you might not want it, right? There's a lot of things in life that we can, uh, you know, throw out that really help you determine, do you really want that? Do you, you don't want it when you find out how much it costs, how much the responsibility costs. But you've got to recognize that sometimes it's just the matter that we're, we're putting things in hands of of lives that cannot handle. They're not even at the capacity. He's not getting the keys to the car. He's not getting my cell phone without accountability. He's not getting just free loaded access. I mean, that becomes, you know, what happens when you take something that was designed to be helpful and it becomes harmful, what what was supposed to be a tool becomes a weapon. What determines if it's a tool or a weapon? It's a design, it's intent? No, the use of it. So anyways, we're, we're kind of just, you know, going around this point where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable, and ultimately we will never discover why we exist and, and, and why the word exists until we discover God's intent. And until then, we're just making it up as we go. Until then, we're just doing the best we can. But I know I can do better than the best I can. I can rely on the Holy Spirit. I can rely on God's power. I can find out what God's purpose and what God's plan was for my marriage, for my home, for my children, for my job, for my education, for my church, for my pastors, for my friendships, for my relationships. Everything has a purpose that God had designed for it. And until we discover God's purpose, we will compromise his plan. You have to recognize that your life is not an accident. So if it's not an accident, that means it was intentional. And everything about you, God intended to exist. God intended to be there. There was intention. There was focus. There was attention given to it. And so you can't live your life with an, uh, thinking you were an accident or life is an accident or life just happens uh, when you discover God's plan and God's purpose for something. Because God doesn't have any accidents. The Bible actually tells us that God knows the end from the beginning. And that doesn't mean he knows the difference between the end and the beginning. Anybody can do that. It means that before he starts, he was already finished. 
before he even dotted the first I, he already knew how this thing was going to wrap up. He, look, we know the end of the story. We know the ending. We know how this thing turns out. Everything's different when you know the ending. Everything's different when you know how it all turns out. Everything changes. Anything in between you realize is just circumstantial, but I know how the thing wraps up. Does anybody know how the book ends? Does anybody know how this thing wraps up? Does anybody know that you're victorious, you're an overcomer, and even though you may be challenged, even though you may be going through it, you're going to go through it, you're going to get to the other side because you're not going to stop in the middle because we know how this thing ends. Amen. So we're not talking about accidents. We're talking about intention. The creation, Genesis chapter one, was not an accident. It was intention. The world wants you to think it was an accident. The enemy wants you to think it was uh, just happenstance. That's exactly what the devil wants you to think. Because anything you think is an accident, everything else that flows from that, you have no control over. God is not a God that's out of control. God is not a chaos, confused God. He knows what he's doing, amen? And so we saw uh, in the very beginning that God uh, designed, this is our first point tonight, we're going to start off where we left off, that God did not want to establish a religion, he desired to establish a government, a government. God's plan from the very beginning, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you miss any of these services, these messages, you have to go back and listen. I do not have time to recap everything. There is absolutely no way. We ran out of time last week, so I'm already uh, backtracking a little bit. But God did not desire to establish a religion. Can I tell you this? God's plan was not to establish Christianity. Christianity was not God's idea. That's a man-made concept. Go find it in the book of Acts chapter 11. Men called believers and disciples and followers of Christ Christians, meaning they look a lot like Christ, Jesus, the one that was walking on this earth. But that wasn't God's plan from the beginning. A lot of what we live for and a lot of why we think we exist is skewed from what God's original design and God's original plan was. So just backtracking a little bit, we saw in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, that God created man in his image, in his likeness. That means he needed man to function and operate and, and, and uh, was designed just like God. Everything that God did in heaven, man was able to do on earth. That's the amount of power. That's the amount of, of authority That's the amount of dominion. That's how God designed man. Adam and Eve did not need to go to God for anything. We don't see that in the word at all in those first few chapters. Oh God, I I need help with my light bill. God, I'm hungry. God, I'm thirsty. God, what am I gonna do about this? No, what were they busy doing? Taking care of the territory that God gave to them, the garden of Eden, right? He said to till it. He he told them to keep it. He told them to guard it. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. How many of you know, even in paradise, there's instructions, there's work to do. This is absolute paradise. And let me just identify this. In paradise, there was evil. Man just didn't know it. There's a tree of knowledge of good and 
evil. The evil existed. And it never touched man. I'm going to tell you something. The devil is not as big of an enemy and a weapon against your life as we want to think he is. We blame stuff on God that he's not responsible for. We blame stuff on the devil he's not responsible for. God put Adam and Eve in that garden to, to make sure that the earth was a representation of heaven and man was a representation of God. So much so that when the snake went crawling around in that garden and he saw Adam and Eve, he saw God. He saw a being that operated and functioned and looked like and acted just like God. Now, if you remember, that snake tried to overthrow God. He was Lucifer, an angel of light. And he wanted God to worship him, bow down to him, submit to him, was lifted up in pride. Pride goat before fall, and he had a major fall. He was cast down out of heaven to the earth. He wanted to take over God's kingdom. He wanted to overthrow God's rule. And so now he's here on this earth, and he sees two individuals that look just like God. And he's like, well, if I overthrow them, I'll get the same thing I was trying to get up there. No different. And so what did he do? He tried to talk Adam and Eve out of God's word. You recognize that if Adam and Eve would have simply adhered to the word of God and exercised the dominion and the authority that they had, we would have had no problem with the devil. You realize that? And it's the same for you today. When you exercise your authority and you exercise your dominion over your domain, and we'll get into that, we're going to get into dominion and domain. We're going to talk about the territories you have authority over. And you need to quit telling God to do stuff in your life. And you need to start speaking to stuff and start talking to mountains and start talking to storms and start casting out devils. We're going to get into all that. Some of y'all are like, whoa, where are we going with this? Hang on. Buckle up. We're in for a ride. Amen. It's going to change your life. Psalms 115, verse 16. They don't have it in there. Just you can jot it down if you didn't get it last week. It says the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of man. He gave the earth to you and I to rule over. God did not intend to rule this territory without going through you and I. In fact, when the king speaks a word, he cannot go back on it. He can't do anything about it. His word is that powerful. And so when he says, let them have dominion over the earth, everything in the earth, everything on the earth, the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle of the earth, anything that creeps on the earth, guess what he just did? He ruled himself out of being able to operate in this territory without using you and I. I know that sounds crazy, but we'll get into that too. Because we'll talk about identity. The, the biggest problem that we have is seeing ourselves the way God sees us. We'll talk about identity. We're going to talk about authority and submission, domain and dominion. We're going to talk about sons and citizens. We're going to cover it all. So God did not desire to establish a religion. His answer for the earth today was government. I know that's the last thing you want to hear. But we want God's government. We want God's rule. The word kingdom literally means king's domain. That's literally what that means. 
So when we say kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, essentially what we're saying is we want his rule. Essentially, it's just this simple. We want his way of doing things. That's what we're saying. When anytime you see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, we're saying, I want it the way he wants it. That's essentially what we're saying. We want God's kingdom on earth. And that's what God desired. The way things are up in heaven, I want it to be done that way on earth. Well, we know Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, and uh, the devil did not steal or take the authority. It was handed over. Authority cannot be stolen. You ever tried to steal authority? Doesn't work. Ever tried to take authority? Doesn't work. No, it has to be given to you from someone in a position of authority. Are you with me? I'm going to try to go as, as, as slow and line upon line with this, but you have to get these, these concepts in here. Authority cannot be stolen. All right, I'm in charge now. You're not. doesn't work that way. It has to be handed over from someone in authority. Only someone that's already authorized as a ruler or has dominion can hand over dominion or authority. And so Adam and Eve, get this, did not fall from heaven. They were not wandering around that garden saying, when's Jesus coming back? I don't know, Eve. I sure wish he would come back. One of these days, he's gonna break through those clouds and and the light of glory on a white horse and we're gonna get to live in, in heaven with God one day. That was not their desire. That was not their focus. That was not their intention at all. You cannot find that in the word of God. They were so focused and intent on bringing God's will to that garden. That was their only focus. And as long as they focused on that, they had everything they needed. As long as they focused on God's plan, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that means God's way of doing things, and righteousness, that means living right, living submitted to his authority. Guess what? All the things you need come running you down. They come finding you. So the stuff that we mostly chase around in life, it's actually looking for you. But we have to submit to his plan, submit to his rule, submit to his way. So Adam and Eve, they did not fall from heaven. They fell from dominion. They fell from authority. They fell from authority. They were here and they fell to here. They're no longer in charge. The Bible tells us that now the enemy, Satan, he is the ruler of this age. Uh, Jesus called him the God of this world. He's in charge. Now he's in charge illegally. Just because he has power doesn't mean he has authority, right? I can carry a weapon and I can shoot it and I can use it, but that doesn't mean I've been authorized to use it, okay? We'll talk about authority uh, and submission to authority and chain of command. We'll talk about all that uh, in one of these weeks as well. And so the enemy's now operating in this territory illegally. He's not operating. God isn't saying, okay, do whatever you want. No, he's operating. He's an unauthorized, using power unauthorized, but his power is not stronger and greater than God's. I said his power is not stronger and greater than God's. It's just about which power you submit yourself to. 
And so Adam and Eve handed over. We asked this question last week, and this is just always a good eye opener. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, where would they be today? Right here on this planet, doing exactly what Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27 and 28 says to do. That was the plan. That was God's purpose. That was God's intention. And God wasn't changing the plan. God desired for his kingdom to be extended from a spiritual realm to a natural realm, from an invisible realm to a visible realm here on earth, desired for man to rule over that kingdom in that territory and to call heaven down to earth. That was the plan. Amen. Okay. And so uh, here in Genesis chapter three, this is where we want to pick up. Genesis chapter three, verses 14 and 15. Genesis chapter three, verses 14, 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, this is right after Adam and Eve sinned. He's now talking to the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Do y'all see that's a capital S, that second one? Y'all see that? Can y'all nod or... Say yes, yep, acknowledge that, great. And between your seed and her, capital S, seed, he, capital H, will bruise your head and you will bruise his, capital H, heel. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus Christ. Right here at the moment that man blows it, at the moment that man sins, God has a plan in place. Here's what you need to know. God did not abort the plan. He desired to restore the plan. God didn't say abort, abort, abort. Get them out of there. Get them back up here to heaven. That earth place, that's, that's tainted now. Just get them back up here. We'll just all live up here in heaven and float on clouds and play harps. Live in mansions, walk on gold streets. That was not the plan. He didn't abort the plan. He said, we're getting it back. I said, he said, we're getting it back. We're getting it back to the way it's supposed to be. We're getting things back to what it's supposed to look like. I will get my kingdom back. You took my kingdom from my man. He handed it over to you out of rebellion, but I'm gonna find a way to get the kingdom back in the earth and the authority back to man. Right there in the, in the very moment. This is the God you serve, God. The very moment. And look, there's no slap on the wrist. Okay, sorry, Adam. We'll, we'll get it right next time. Go to your room. Go to timeout. Think about it. He kicked him out. His son. Watch this. His only son. Not the second, not the third. The first time they blew it, you're out. But he has a plan to get him back. He has a plan to get the kingdom back in the earth. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, capital S. He will bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. We jump on over. I'm just gonna take you on a quick little journey. Genesis chapter nine. You can just jot these down. They'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter nine. Be very awesome 
You know, if you did a little bit of homework and even took these verses, studied them out a little further, re-listened to these messages, it'll do so much to get this down in you. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, just kind of a little side note, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable of the sower and he makes these words. He says, when the, when the gospel of the kingdom is sown, the enemy comes quickly to pick it up. Not just any gospel. There's some gospels out there that the devil's okay with being preached and taught. Sure is. But there's a gospel of the kingdom. I'm telling you right now, what you're hearing right now, he wants to do everything he can. I mean, it already started raining as soon as the doors opened up tonight. He's do everything he can to keep the gospel of the kingdom that the enemy so desperately is trying to hold back from you but you're not gonna let him. Genesis chapter nine, verse one. So God blessed Noah and his sons. This is after the flood and said to them, watch this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like the original intent. Skip on down to verse seven. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. He's starting over with eight people. Moses' wife and their kids and their wives. God's starting over. He's not trying to wipe this whole thing out and just, well, forget that whole thing didn't work out. That's what man does. We abandon, we abort. God says, let's fix it. Let's restore it. Let's get it back. Down verse 15, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you. He's reestablishing covenant with man once again. Now the flood did not fix the fall. The flood was just an opportunity to show man how far into depravity he had gotten and how much work it was gonna take. You know, if you get it right the first time, it makes it look easy. But if you have a few futile attempts, like I believe they, they say of Thomas Edison, I don't know how many times he tried to get the light bulb to work. It was a bunch of failed attempts and then finally he got it figured out. And, and, and so we're gonna take a journey over the failed attempts to restore the kingdom and find out that there was only one way to get this thing back. There was only one way and there was one perfect way that God had in mind. God knows what he's doing. God's not sitting here, well, let's try this. All right, that didn't work. Let's bring the flood. Oh, okay, let's try law. Let's, let's bring in law. Maybe that'll make people know they're, they're worse than they were before the law. Now they just, now they know when they blow it. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Before the law, you were just sinning. Now you know that you're sinning. Now you know the difference between right, right and wrong, but you keep doing it. The law is powerless to actually make you holy and righteous. It just shows you when you miss it. So these things come into play. In Genesis chapter 12, we see a man named Abram. And in verse one, God says, now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. We talked about that a couple of weeks. If you missed that, you need to go online and get that. It was called a step ahead. God is always a step ahead. And he's a step ahead of Abram. He's saying here, I will make you a what? A great nation. God is always about getting his people back. He's going after, he's saying, how can we get my people back? How can I get this nation, my people, back in the earth again? The original design, the original intent. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And there's furthermore, I mean, you go into Genesis 15, Genesis 17, you see other conversations that God has with Abraham about this nation. He says, other nations are gonna look to you and say, man, we wanna be like that nation. See, that's why we don't need to desire what the world's doing. God's trying to set us up where the world looks to us and say, man, we're missing it. What do you have that I don't have? What are you doing that I'm not doing? That's what God wants. God wants to make us a great people, a great nation. Guys, there's two things that God's desiring to do. Two things that God wants to do. Number one, he wants to reestablish man's relationship with him. Got to get that relationship back. We cannot effectively bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth if we're not in right relationship, right standing with the king. That's paramount. I can't operate on the king's bidding and what the king wants me to do if I'm not in alignment with him, alignment with who he is. I'm talking relationship. I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about relationship. My performance flows from my relationship. That's something I have to tell myself almost every day of my life. My performance flows. God already approves of me. God has already said, that's my son in whom I well please. And I haven't even done a miracle yet. I just came up out of the water. That was Jesus. The clouds bursted open. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He hasn't done anything yet. He took a bath. And God said, oh, that's him. I'm approved. I approve him. He got baptized. Guys, we're not after, God isn't after our performance. He's after our relationship. And because I know who I am and I know whose I am, I know who I am in relationship with him, then what I do flows from who I am. My assignment comes after my identity. So he wants to, number one, he wants to reestablish man's relationship with him. Number two, he wants to reestablish man's rule on the earth. It's two things God's trying to do throughout this Old Testament now. Reestablish relationship, that's the covenant. I'm gonna be in covenant with you. This is my agreement with you. If you do this, I'll do this. That's what God's trying to establish. And through that, man can now operate in the earth as he was designed to. His authority, his rule, his dominion, to be able to govern, to be able to dictate. Guys, life should not be dictating to us. We tell life what to do. We tell our circumstances, what to do. There's authority and power in you, and that's what we're gonna discover. In 1 Samuel chapter eight, we take a very dangerous turn. 1 Samuel chapter eight, beginning with verse one, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel, and the name of his firstborn was Joel, name of his second Abijah, the judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. And all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. Because at this point, there are no rulers. The one thing God did not assign was us to rule over people. He said, we'll rule over cattle, rule over fish, rule over earth, uh, the earth, rule over birds of the air. But he never said we would rule over one another. He never put us in charge of each other. God is in charge of us. As long as I submit to his authority, I'll be in authority. But he never desired for us to rule over one another. So at this point, we have elders, we have counselors, uh, we have priests. 
We have prophets. These are men of God that God would use, but his spirit did not reside upon or live in everybody like today. Every single person, if you are born of the kingdom, you're in the kingdom of God. His Holy Spirit lives in you, bears witness that you're a child of God, allows you to bear the fruit of the spirit. But they didn't have that in the Old Testament. The spirit of God came upon select individuals. And so now they come to the prophet Samuel. They say, your sons, they're not doing right. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. This isn't good. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. When you want someone other than God to rule over you, you're rejecting God's rule over you. You can't have both. He says, they have not uh, rejected you. Uh, They've rejected me according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice, however, You shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. In fact, what he's saying is, is no king is perfect like I am. No king will operate with their best interest at heart like I do. These kings are flesh. These kings are people. These kings are human and they will blow it. They will miss it. They will uh, be turned to greed. They will desire uh, to, to be turned to pride and lift themselves up. They can't handle it. But he says, you let them have it. If that's what they want, then they can have it. Well, we know from there that we, I mean, the first king out the gate started out great. King Saul eventually rebels, abandons God's word, God's direction. Again, if you don't remain submitted to his authority, you won't remain in authority. A lot of times stuff's not listening to us because we're not listening to God. There's a prerequisite, there's a qualifier. If you want to operate with dominion and authority in your life, you've gotta be submitted to the dominion and authority in your life. So we jump ahead to the prophet Isaiah. We get down so far with these kings. They get so horrible, so bad. It's just, it's rough. God's people end up in slavery, end up in uh, uh, other people's countries, submitting to others. Uh, uh, It's just, it's a mess. In Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven, we typically read this at Christmas time, but this is God's plan. Everyone say God's plan. It's still his purpose. It's still his plan. And verse six says this, for unto us a child, that's a capital C. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son, capital S, is given. And look at this. And the government, the government, God's plan for the earth is government. His government, his rule, his way, his kingdom. The government will be upon his shoulder. 
and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, right? Because God desires, every king desires that their government or their rule expands and increases. Not that it stays the same. Oh, I just want a tiny little kingdom over here. No, they're like, let's make this thing big. I mean, even our nation today desires to expand, desires to increase. That's a God-given desire. God wants his kingdom to expand. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward and even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God's answer for the world is government. And it came through a person for unto us, a child is given unto us. A son is born again. Who are we talking about? Jesus, Jesus. Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. We know Jesus is born. Jesus isn't born like a King, like we think. And look, these believers, these Jews, They're waiting for the Messiah. They know, man, a child is gonna be born. A son is gonna be given. Even the wise men know, we're coming to see a king. They bring gold, frankincense, myrrh. They come bow down and worship him. When King Herod, the maniac he was, when he hears that another king is born, he feels so threatened by a child that he kills every baby. Ultimately, get this, the devil was so, he knew all the way back, wait a minute, he said something about a seed. He, he, he said a son. The devil wiped out every child two years and under when Moses was born. Y'all remember that? The devil is freaked out about this son. He's never forgotten that. Never forgot that since Genesis chapter three, verses 14 and 15, he's known there's a seed coming and he's been on edge since that time trying to run evil and trying to run rampant in this world as much as he can. And trying to, even today, aborting kids, he's afraid of what a seed can do. He's afraid of what a child can do. And so, Matthew chapter four, Jesus grows up, Jesus goes into ministry. Matthew chapter four, and the first thing he comes out and says after being baptized, from that time, Jesus began to preach. That means to proclaim. That doesn't mean he had a microphone in a pulpit. Uh, and, and it just meant he was proclaiming. He was going about proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now look at this with me in Matthew chapter 13. I want you to know that Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom. Jesus was absolutely obsessed with the kingdom. Out of 40 parables that uh, we have in the word of God that Jesus gave, 19 of them directly reference the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The words kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are found over 60 times, I believe it is. And in John, John actually had to change his terminology because John wrote his book a a, a lot later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And by that time, persecution was so strong and persecution against this kingdom because, you know, the Roman government, they're like, 
You got a kingdom? We'll take you out. You think you're going to overthrow us? And Jesus was like, well, I ain't got a literal kingdom. I got a kingdom of heaven where I'm coming from. I'm not talking about something that's going to overthrow you. But they got so freaked out that John had to change his terminology. And his terminology that he used, and it's found throughout the book of John multiple times, is the word everlasting life. Right? Over everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have what? You know what he was saying? That you would have the kingdom of God. But he changed the terminology so that it wouldn't be so confrontational and so contradictory to the government of that time. He wanted it to be more receptive. So if you throw in all these terms, Paul used the term throughout the, uh, his books. He used a couple terms, in Christ, in him, in whom. When he uses those words, you know what he's talking about? The kingdom of God. That's what he's referencing. He's talking about the kingdom life is, is when you operate in the kingdom life that God has called you to operate in, you are in Christ. That means when God sees you, he sees Jesus. That's what that means. Amen. Here in Matthew chapter 13, look at this. We'll just jump through a bunch of verses here. In verse 10, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Skip down to verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Verse 31, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. You think Jesus is trying to get a, something, get a point across? You think he's trying to get something out? Let me tell you something. We preach the gospel of Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. There's a difference. We talk a lot about Jesus in churches today. But we rarely preach what Jesus preached. Are you hearing me now? There's a difference. I can talk about Jesus or I can talk about the stuff Jesus talked about. Let me just give you some ideas. And I know that these can sound pretty bold and pretty brash, but it's the word of God. And this, is, and this is the thing about the kingdom message. I probably should have started uh, in Mark chapter two. I'll bring that up next week. But it, the, the kingdom message will confront a lot and challenge a lot of our natural, especially Americanized thinking. So you just have to be ready for that. Well, I don't know about that. Look it up. I'm not telling you to believe anything I'm saying because I'm saying it. Believe it because it's the word of God. Jesus never once preached about the cross. Not one time can you find where he got up in front of a multitude of people and said, let me tell you about this cross that I'm going to bear. He talked about it with his disciples. 
He talked about it with the close few. But it was not a part of his message that he preached. When he's talking to the multitudes, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's demonstrating the kingdom of God, showing you what the kingdom of God looks like. Another thing Jesus never preached about, he never preached about himself. But those are the two things that dominate our preaching and teaching today. He never preached. He never did. He talked about bringing heaven to earth. He talked about heaven coming down. Come on now. There's a gospel of Jesus and there's a gospel of the kingdom and we, Jesus was aligned with, with what Jesus was obsessed with. We need to align our values with what Jesus was aligned with. You can go further, Luke chapter four, verse 13. Or I'm sorry, Luke chapter four, verse 43. I, didn't, I typed that wrong. Luke four, 43. Well, I have the verse here right in my notes. I just have the wrong number. 4.43, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. The crowd sought him, came to him. He tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the king. I was the other cities also, watch this, because for this purpose, I was sent. Doesn't say anything about the cross. Doesn't say anything about saving you from your sins. Doesn't say anything about getting you to heaven one day all the things that we say Jesus's purpose was. If you ask nine out of 10 Christians, why did Jesus come? They're gonna tell you, he came to die on the cross for my sins so I could go to heaven. That's the story that we tell everybody. When a pastor gives an altar call, they typically will ask a question. If you died tonight, do you know where you would go? This is what consumes the church today, but it did not consume Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't come to die on a cross for your sins. I'm not saying Jesus didn't come to, to give you access uh, that one day when you die and you depart from this earth that you would go and be with him. I'm not saying that at all. Those are byproducts, but not the goal. There's a difference. You gotta know what the goal was. You gotta know what the goal was. And Jesus's goal was God's goal. What was God's plan from the beginning? to establish his kingdom from heaven on earth. What was his plan when man messed up? Reestablish the kingdom of heaven back on earth through man. So guess what Jesus is here to do? Reestablish the kingdom of God from heaven back onto the earth. That's his only intent. He even made these statements in John. I'm only here to do my father's will. I only say what the father tells me to say. I only do what he tells me to do. I only go where he tells me to go. My will and his will are aligned. We are one. I, if he doesn't tell me to go, I don't go. If he doesn't tell me to say it, I don't say it. Jesus never once preached about being born again. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, John chapter three. Yeah, in the middle of the night, to a scared Pharisee that didn't want anybody else to see him talking to Jesus. He said, you will never see the kingdom of God unless you are born of, born again. Well, how can I go back in my mother? No, 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 you got this song wrong. What's born of flesh is flesh. What's born of spirit is spirit. You need to be born of the spirit. 
but it was referenced back to the kingdom. But that was not a message that he, anybody here want to get born again? Anybody, let me, let me get an altar call. Jesus was obsessed about something a little bit different than what we obsess about. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. This is Jesus talking to a government official. You know, it was, the, it was a lot of times the Romans that understood Jesus's position and Jesus's authority even better than the Jews and especially better than the Pharisees. Government people understood who Jesus was and what he was all about. Matthew chapter eight, man, when we talk about authority and submission, there was a Roman centurion that Jesus said, this man has the greatest faith I've ever seen in all of Israel. Not even a Christian, not even a believer, not even someone that was a follower of Jesus or waiting for Jesus. He was in dire need. I've got a servant. This guy does a lot of stuff for me. I need him to live. Can you raise him back up? He's got stuff to do. I got laundry to get done. I've got errands to have him run. He can't be dying on me. Well, I'll come to your house. No, just speak a word, man. I ain't got time for that. Just speak the word. By the time I get there, he'll be healed. That's the greatest faith. You want to make Jesus marvel? Get the kingdom. That man understood kingdom. John chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He's not denying he has a kingdom. He's saying it's not a kind of kingdom you think you are looking for. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause, I was born. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus was a king. Jesus was a king that came to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth as was the original intent in Genesis chapter one. If you... Uh, look at Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. Jesus has now been crucified. Jesus has raised back to life and now he's uh, on the earth for a, a little while before he eventually ascends to heaven. And here in Acts chapter one, verse one, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Look, his mission is the same. Even after coming back to life, his mission is still the same. Being seen by them 40 days and watch, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Where does he go? Right, He comes right out of the grave and says, all right, where do I leave off? Oh yeah, that kingdom business. Let me finish telling you about the kingdom. 
He's right back to it. Even after the cross and resurrection, which is our entrance into the kingdom, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about being born again. I mean, you've been waiting 33 years to give an altar call and now the cross and the, the, the resurrection has finally happened. This is it. Let's give the greatest altar call of all time. And he says, let me tell you about the kingdom. I'm not done yet. He tells them about the kingdom of God. Last verse I wanna leave you with, Matthew chapter 16. And this will connect us to next week. Matthew chapter 16. This is Jesus speaking. About six months before he goes to the cross, he's talking to his disciples. He's asking them, who do men say that I am? And Jesus didn't have an identity complex. He wasn't trying to figure out, you know, what are people saying? I don't know who I am. He knows who he is, but he's curious. Who do people say that I am? And what kind of intuition do you have? And so he says, who do men say that I am? Oh, one of the prophets, maybe Moses, maybe Elijah. No, no, no. Who do you say I am? And Peter, by the Holy Spirit, speaks up and says, well, I believe you're Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, Peter, I know you want me to make you think you sound smart, but that wasn't you. That was the Holy Spirit. My father revealed that to you. But he goes a little further in verse 17. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I love what Gary Crowell said on Sunday. I don't know if you caught it or not. He kind of slipped in. I was thought he was going to repeat and he didn't. So if you didn't catch it, you missed it. But he said, the gates of hell cannot keep the church out. For so long, the church has thought we were trying to keep hell out. It's the opposite. We're not on the defensive, guys. We're on the offensive. We are tearing down hell's gates, hell's domain, hell's territory. We are the ones that Satan's trying to keep out, not the other way around. He says the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not be able to withstand the church. And look what he says. This is gonna connect us to next week. You gotta catch this. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the what? Kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth. Now he's not talking to Peter anymore. He's talking to the church. He's not talking about the man, Peter. He switched over and he says, I will build my church. I'm gonna give keys to the church, keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you, church, binds on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you, church, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice who's doing the action and who's reciprocating the action. The church is doing the binding and the loosing and heaven is responding to what you and I do. 
We thought that we were waiting on a move of God and God is waiting on a move of man. Heaven is literally standing by and saying, are you gonna take authority? Are you gonna carry out your kingdom authority that's now been restored and been reestablished back to you? Because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came as a king to reestablish the kingdom of heaven. To do that, he had to make you right. Remember the two things I said? Number one, we've got to reestablish relationship. Number two, reestablish rule. So guess what? Jesus had to go to the cross, become the sin that you and I were and the you and I had committed, were committing and would ever commit. The perfect spotless lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world had to become that sin so you and I could have a right relationship, be in right standing. It's called righteousness. Make you righteous once again because unrighteousness cannot rule the kingdom of God. So you and I had to be made right so that we could rule. He reestablished our relationship so that he could reestablish his kingdom again through you and I. Amen. Anybody grateful that you've been reestablished? You have been made right. You have been restored. Now, the last little picture I want to show you. I know we're a little over, but I want to show you. Man fell. Man was here. This isn't heaven. This is authority in the kingdom of God. Man was never in heaven. Adam and Eve were never in heaven. Man was on earth, created on earth, placed on earth to rule on earth. Man fell from dominion, fell from authority. And God said, I'm going to restore man. The word restore literally means to place back in the original position. Now, if God restores me, if Jesus came and died on a cross so I could go to heaven, let's say this is heaven. Is it restored? Did I restore the Bible back to its original place? The only way you can be restored is if you're placed back where you started. God brought everything full circle through his son, Jesus. He restored you. Get this, God did not desire to replace you. He desired to restore you. God didn't find a suitable replacement. He said, they'll do. I just need to get my spirit back in them. I just need to get them righteous again so that they can rule like they were originally designed. God has restored you. God has placed you right back where you were. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, and if it was a purpose for Adam and Eve, it's your purpose too. If it was a purpose for Abraham, it was your purpose too. If it was a purpose for Moses, it's your purpose too. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.